Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to episode 18 of Swimming Upstream and our latest Monday recap for the week of May the 11th through May the 16th. If you missed our first one of these, guys, the idea is, with the entirety of minor league baseball being off on Mondays, Daniel and I will recap the week, what we saw, who impressed us at each level, and then we'll try to take your questions. Uh, we do have a slightly special announcement to come up at the end, but I'll save the suspense for that. We'll save that for the end of the episode, and we'll bring it to you then. So, Daniel DeVivo, thanks again for joining me as always. What's going on, man? Ooh, an announcement. I'm excited. <laughs> um, everything's good, man. Everything's good here. I remember, for you guys that don't know, I'm in Colombia, in, in Barranquilla, <clears throat> and uh, loving life. Loving family, baseball, everything's everything's positive. Awesome. Awesome. Glad to hear it. Glad to hear the family's well. Again, thank you as always for your time and for being my true partner in this entire project, not just not just the podcast, but we've mentioned that before. Uh, guys, I couldn't do this without Daniel. He's been uh, absolutely insurmountable in everything that he's done for us. So we appreciate him. And we're excited for this episode, guys. we got a lot to get to. But before we get to the affiliates, I want to get to two things on the Major League front. Uh, the first one is um, a pitcher that we saw come up last week and debut for the Marlins with Cody Poteet. Uh, comes up after a really good first start in Jacksonville in AAA. Uh, we mentioned him on the last episode as a guy that maybe we would see come up in, in some sort of spot. And lo and behold, we see it. Uh, he comes up with the Marlins. Uh, goes five innings, allows four hits and just two runs. Six Ks and no walks. And that's really just the guy that he's been in the minor leagues. A guy that just limits damage, limits walks, and gets guys out. He struck out the side in his third inning of that start. Set down nine of his last ten. Uh, has four pitches, but he really didn't need all of his pitches in this start. Um, the Diamondbacks, who he faced, went with a really lefty, heavy lineup. And he just located fastballs to his righty arm side up and out of the zone. So as good as he was, um, definitely didn't see his entire arsenal because he didn't need it. So he was sent back to AAA a couple days ago to make room for Braxton Garrett. The Marlins wanted a little more, more length out of the bullpen with what they had going on. I know they had a bullpen day just before that, and they had to use like six arms. So, yeah, they did definitely need that, that fresh arm in the bullpen. And then um, after Braxton came in, uh, I think through a couple innings, he was sent back to AAA uh, a day after to make room for Josh Chisholm, who was ready to come up. Uh, from minors uh, on rehab assignment. So now the Marlins will need a starter probably tomorrow um, on Mon on uh, Tuesday, right? Uh, Don Manningly has said that we can expect a roster move. So there's a couple of things that could happen here. Um, Poti being, having just been optioned, he would have to spend at least 10 days in the minors to come back, but he can come back if somebody is placed on the injured list. We could also see Nick Nider come up in this spot. He did throw a couple days ago, but would pretty much be scheduled to go again. So we could see a couple different things. But personally, I wanted to and still want to see Cody again and see him using that breaking stuff more. Uh, did it well in his first minor league start. Got 10 strikeouts in that start. A lot of his strikeouts came on the curveball. So I want to see how those play in the, in the majors in addition to that good fastball that we saw. So uh, I'll ask you first here, Daniel, what were your impressions uh, on Cody Poteet in that first start? And do you see him potentially coming back for this Tuesday game? Cody Poteet, man. <laughs> Cody Poteet. See, I mean, this pitching development team is just crazy. Yep. Um, I put out a tweet about that, <clears throat> about how we really, really needed that. You mm -hmm. know, uh, Neidert didn't respond as hoped 
to, to start the season. Castano, I mean, we know we know the pitcher he is. Um, he'll get he won't strike out many. Um, he sometimes will do the job, sometimes he won't. Like we know what kind of pitcher he is, but he also didn't really give us that length that we needed with with Eliezer and with Sixo down. Yeah. Um, Poteet came up out of nowhere. <laughs> and gave us that game. So of course, of course, I would love to see him as quickly as possible. That was great. I mean, we had Poteet really low. I mean, we knew he was an innings eater in the minors, you know, hey, like he could put up a good start, um, then not a very good one, then another good one. He was like, yeah, like a fourth or fifth pitcher in our minor league uh, affiliates, right? so for him to, in the last year and a half where there was no baseball at all, to develop the way that he did, to me, is just amazing. It talks about him, talks well, very well about him, and it talks very well about our pitching development team. You know, they're not only here for the Max Myers and the Braxton Garretts and the Edward Cabrera. They're here for all of our pitchers. And Cody Poteet took advantage of that, and we're seeing it. He's touching 96 He's throwing that beautiful curveball. He has several other pitches that he can throw. So, so yeah, uh, I mean, I'm not hoping anybody gets injured or anything for him to come up on Tuesday, but I would love to see him as quickly as possible. Is not on, if not on Tuesday, then hopefully on the weekend or whenever those 10 days are up. Yeah, def- definitely agree. I mean, um, yeah, we, we, especially with everything that's going on with injuries with the Marlins already, we'd hate to see somebody else go down with injury. But, man, um, I was really looking forward to see Cody again after that first start just because, as I mentioned, he really, really went for that fastball a lot. Like, just didn't really need to throw his breaking pitches because he was doing so well with the fastball. But he has a four-pitch arsenal. It's not just about one pitch. It's not just about that velo, even though the velo is up. I mean, he has a velo separation. He's got four pitches. I mean, I'm, I'm really, really excited to see him come up at some point. If not, if not for Tuesday, definitely sometime you know, not too far along in the season when the Marlins need a starter. So, yeah, I'm excited for him. Now the Marlins, yeah, and then now the Marlins have other pitching options. When everybody's back and healthy, yeah. you know, maybe he can be a long relief pitcher. Maybe yeah. he can be used as, as a trade piece that we mm-hmm. didn't have before, you know, with him as for, for hitters. For So this is, this is what everybody's been talking about, layers and layers of pitching. I mean, this is, this is it. So just great to see. Exactly right. And there's a ton of other guys behind him that I'm sure we'll get to that have taken advantage of this development team and that have been developed so well by the Marlins as we go through this episode and other episodes throughout the minor league season. But uh, we'll get to that. The second thing I wanted to get to uh, on the major league front, Daniel, is even though it was an off day for the Marlins on major league level and for all of minor league baseball, as we know, um, the Marlins drop a bomb today, right? And they come up with this absolutely gorgeous, City Connect jersey that honors the Havana Sugar Kings, who were actually, uh, it ties in well to, to what we do with minor league baseball, because they were a minor league team for the Washington yep. Senators and the Cincinnati Reds in the 50s and 60s. So it seems as though all of baseball and all of Twitter and all of Marlins Twitter and Twitter as a whole pretty much agrees with both me and you. These things are fire, bro. Like, it, it's it's awesome. You got the, the red, pretty much Caliente red jersey that everybody's been asking for. You got some pinstripes on there as well, which throws it not only back to Havana, but also back to when the Marlins played in pinstripe when they had the teal pinstripe, right? So you got a little nice tie in there. Um, and then just the logos and everything, the hat is absolutely awesome. Pro- probably, and you can tell me if you agree, Daniel, the most jersey hype I've seen the Marlins ever get 
the only other time I remember there being this much excitement for a Marlins jersey was probably back in 2018 when they did, as I mentioned, those fuel pinstripe throwbacks. So as good as these things look already, I think they're going to, I put this on Twitter, I think they're going to even be looking better on the field when, when the guys get on the field. I saw some pictures today of Jazz and, and Trevor Rogers and um, Miggy in these, these full get-out jerseys like, that they're going to actually wear on the field. I think they're going to be awesome. The Marlins will wear them in their next home series against the Mets. That starts on the 21st, which is actually a day after Cuban Independence Day. So even more, you know, tie in there to the culture. So, Daniel, I've bought a hat and I really want to get that Jazz Chisholm T-shirt, which, you know, I probably shouldn't spend the money on, but probably will. Um, what have you gotten personally? I know you and your brother were on the store today as well, Marcelo. So I, I want to know what, what have you got and how hard was it for you not to just buy it all? <laughs> Um, I got the hat and I wanted the jazz t-shirt when I went to get it, I'm a size M and, uh, wasn't there. I mean, it was, it was, um, they were out. Uh, so, so my brother ended up getting a large jazz chism and I ended up getting a Sandy Alcantara <laughs> t-shirt. Um, my brother also got the hoodie, which I guess it's just, just, again, it's just fire. It's, it's amazing. Um, but yeah, uh, it's just great, great stuff. I love, love the excitement on Twitter and uh, yeah, happy with my purchases. Definitely. <laughs> Definitely. Awesome. Awesome. Love to see it. I, I know that uh, a lot of our friends elsewhere have, have taken up purchasing stuff as well. And we can't blame any of them. Uh, Lone Depot Park was selling stuff today as well. Um, they'll continue doing so, I'm sure, uh, you know, these next couple of days. And then, of course, during the homestand. So Great to see. Uh, love it. Uh, just really great job by Nike and the Marlins. So we love to see that. Uh, and we're excited for that series against the Mets. I think it's going to be a good series. All right. Uh, so we'll get to the affiliates, Daniel. Um, uh, first one we got to mention is uh, the Jupiter Hammerheads. Um, they have their first home series. Uh, they were the home team against their, um, their stadium mates, I guess, in the Palm Beach Cardinals. Uh, they go three and three in the series. They had a negative three run differential. And next up, they will travel to Daytona to take on the Cincinnati Reds. So we're going to get to a couple of guys each that we really liked in this series. Daniel, I'll let you go first. Sure. Um, well, I mean, you know, I'll, I'll keep coming to you with, with, with Eddie Pettis just really quickly after three innings in his first pro start, they let him go five innings this time. And of course he responded zero runs, one hit, two walks, five Ks. Just love to see it, man. The lower levels are all starting um, their guys once a week, but I expect they'll begin bringing that rotation down to five in the future. I mean, it makes sense after after this this wait time, especially for the younger guys. Um, everybody like Odie is pitching like every Tuesday right now, mm -hmm. so that's a seven days seven days between his starts. Hopefully, they'll they'll start. AAA isn't, you know, AAA. If you pitch on Tuesday, you'll pitch on Sunday, as they do in the major leagues. But Double A, High A, and Low A are doing it like this. So I'm, uh, I expect them to um, bring that rotation down to five, maybe in a month or so. Maybe Double A will probably do it first, but but sooner or later, you know, we will see with the lower levels. So I'm excited to see what happens then. The um, the 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 pitchers that that I that I saw, apart from Audi, went really well was um. Uh, Matt Given, yeah, solid bounce back start for Matt after giving up um, three earned runs in four innings in his in his first start of the season. This time he pitched six innings, um, one earned run, three hits, one walk, 
six Ks, this is exactly what we want to see from him. For those that don't know him, Given has been he's been in our system for a while now. He was drafted out of high school back in 2017, I believe. I believe. Yep. Uh, he got a $500,000 bonus. The thing with him is he underwent Tommy John surgery in May of 2018 and only got a few starts in during that 2019 season. So after that layoff, you know, this start was very encouraging. The Marlins are high on his changeup and his curveball. Uh, but it was his command coming back from Tommy John that really grabbed their attention. So that was definitely pretty exciting. Uh, do, do you have any pitchers that, that you were, um, that you identified? Yeah. So the, the, the one that, that I had was the one that you stated with, with Matt given. Um, I was actually at that game. Uh, great, great stuff to see from him. As, as you stated, um, a Marlins 20th rounder uh, at a high school in 2017, Obviously, as a 20th rounder, he makes the signing bonus that you just stated. It's over slot value, right? Well over slot value, I should say, for that late in the draft. And he's getting that kind of signing bonus. So, yeah, the Marlins definitely saw something in him. And he probably would have gone a lot higher in that draft if not for injury concern. Um, he had started feeling that, uh, you know, that issue uh, with his throwing arm uh, in his, late in his high school career. So that's what obviously what happened. He did try to avoid Tommy John surgery by doing like some rehab work and a lot of stuff like that. But uh, obviously eventually it came down to TJ. He underwent that in the 2018 season, missed that entire season, started building back in 2019. He did pitch mostly out of the pen, I believe for the GCL that year. So just started building back. Right. And then his first start this year, uh, 4.1 innings, as you stated, seven hits with the four runs, three earned um, two homers in that start as well. So that, that's, what's big for, for Matt given is the command, right? He doesn't have this overpowering stuff. He's not going to overwhelm with the velocity. It's mostly 92 and underneath mostly usually sits around 90, 91. He can pump it up, I think to 93, but that's about as high as you'll ever see him go, but really just needs to command and, and use his fastball to get ahead and then uh, use the breaking pitches. So that's really what we saw from him in this start. Um, he did have a rough first inning. I'll just mention that on Matt Given. Uh, only eight strikes in his first 18 pitches, but then he came back and Daniel, he sets down 15 of his last 17 hitters that he faced. Um, again, showed all four of his pitches and mixed them well. There were some innings where he used the slider exclusively, and then there were other innings where he would go back to the curveball. So it's really nice to see him providing different looks and really mixing his stuff and using all of his pitches. And most, most of all, as you stated, Daniel, commanding that lower half of the zone and just inducing weak contact. That's the kind of guy that he needs to be. Um, a lot of people do liken him to Zach Greinke because of how he looks. And he looks exactly like him in the face. I have some pictures uh, that I still need to upload to Instagram of him. And he looks exactly like Granky. I was side-by-siding them up and it, he looks exactly like him. And his arsenal is kind of like Granky's as well. Cause he's got the four pitches, he's got the lower velo and he just induces a weak contact man. And then he can get some swing and miss as well, which we saw in the start. Obviously we saw that as well, as you stated. So yeah, a uh, really good slider 77, 79 that I saw Curveballs like 72, 75, Changeups like 86, 88. That pitch he's really not using a lot. Um, we didn't see a lot of it in this start. I think he's trying to add that pitch. It's a pitch that kind of came along for him late in his high school career. So trying to add that pitch in. But uh, right now he has three really good pitches and he's adding that fourth one. So yeah, needs to gain some polish a little bit. That's probably why he's in low A. Injury worries also going into that as well. But he's being built up, man. And I really think um, that we could see him up at a higher level sometime soon. Also, another thing to mention that the ABS, uh, the automated balls and strikes, 
that was being used in this game in Jupiter. So um, just another thing to take into account that he did really well with that system in place. So yeah, really like to see Matt get up and pitching well. Absolutely. Um, quick notable mentions on, on pitchers since we did talk about Jackson Rose uh, last week, just a quick note on him. He only pitched one game, mm-hmm. but all the guy did was strike out seven guys yeah. in two innings. <laughs> Seven guys in two innings. You heard that right. Uh, a drop third strike for an extra yep. K. Um, so he he keeps he keeps being amazing. Let's let's monitor him. He yeah. I, I, he has to go to Beloit like to, right like yesterday. <laughs> I, I was really impressed with him in that first game of the season that I was at in St. Lucie. Um, the curveball is so good for him, right? I mean, it's a, it's another guy that's not going to overpower, and he is old for his level, which we mentioned in our first episode. But man, he just keeps keeps producing, right? I, I mean, he needs to really, really be challenged. He's what like twenty five years old, and he's pitching with the Hammerheads. I, I really want to see him up as soon as possible, as Daniel just stated. And my other guys were um, Soriano and Roberson. Just quick mentioning them again. Um, we're pretty high on those two and they started their seasons this week at this level. So again, let's monitor those two. They'll obviously be promoted soon enough. Um, they're just, you know, getting back to it. Yeah. A lot of guys on this hammerheads pitching staff that are going to move Soriano, Roberson, Rose, hopefully Matt given, but then you have a lot of guys coming up right behind them with the guys that are starting out in extended, like may call Leon, Luis Palacios. Hopefully he gets here eventually. Um, other guys as well behind them. So Brady, yeah, yeah Brady and Carnacion's another one. I mean, yeah, there, there's there's Evan Fitterer. Like, there's so many guys that you just you want to see come back and get into this Jupiter rotation and see these guys that are currently here move up to hopefully to Beloit. So we'll see what happens. Obviously, it's early in the season. You got some guys going through some stuff, but uh, yeah, some definite movers coming up for the Hammerheads. All right, so I guess uh, that's that's Daniel's two that are couple guys that he mentioned that he, that he's expecting to do well. Um, I'll get to mine. Um, my first one's got to be Federico Polanco. Um, the return piece for Jordan Yamamoto this winter, um, he was originally listed at 5'10", 155. Um, I was, again, out at two Hammerheads games, one of which he played in, which was this last game, that Matt Given start that I stated on the 15th. Watching him now, he's got to be at least, if not more, 25 pounds heavier than that. So really filled out the body, and he's using that added size to tap into some more power. Um, was known kind of coming up as a prospect with the Mets for his really advanced hitter's eye and his really good swing promoted by really soft hands. That's still present here in Jupiter. Um, Just seven strikeouts and two walks in his first 29 plate appearances. So he's making consistent contact. Um, He joined the Hammerheads, as I just said, for the second half of the St. Lucie series. He's hit in all but one game. He's 18 for 27 with a homer a triple, which we saw in that game the other night, which was fantastic. Uh, awesome. Awesome to see just roped the ball into the right field corner and just flew around the bases. So really great. And then he also has three doubles, seven RBIs, 182 runs created plus that's third in the Marlins system and 12th in the low a Southeast. Like I said, he makes easy contact gap power initiated by the swing in the hands, um, adding more power due to the size. Like I just said, He uses a bit of like a wide split stance at the plate, but his upper half is closed, um, keeps his elbows up high, uh, keeps his head down, uh, mid-level leg kick to him. 
uh, strides into the ball pretty well. Just really like his mechanics, great feel for hitting. And as I said, he's, he's adding in that, that, that power it's, it's, you know, it was originally gap power because of the bat speed in the hands. And now it's, you know, he's adding to it, which you just love to see. So lefty hitter uh, at a, with power at a, at a premium position, the second base middle infield um, still just recently turned 20. I mean, we got him for Jordan Yamamoto, Daniel, did the Marlins really steal a guy here? Absolutely. I'm pretty excited about Polanco. I love his swing. Um, didn't expect him to, to hit the ground running as he did with his, with his promotion to, to, to Jupiter from, from extended. Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's great to see. And you got another guy in Dial Burgos who we got for Austin Dean, who's pretty much right behind him. <laughs> He's that's, really that's, good too. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, uh, the OE, has been a definitely has been a solid surprise this last two weeks. Not surprised because you know I didn't think he has it in him. More because I didn't expect for him to hit the ground running like this. Um, for those who don't remember, he came to Miami in the Austin Dean trade. So just like um, just like with Polanco, these these guys are the DFA boys with a uh, Dean and uh, and Yamamoto, who we DFA'd and then trade and got, you know, what we call lottery tickets from the Dominican Summer League. Um, and so these two guys have been outstanding. So he he come he came in the Dean trade and unfortunately didn't play for Miami because the season was canceled. Um, the only thing we had on him, you know, his season in 2019 was that he repeated the DSL level in 2019 lit the world on fire then got promoted to the GCL and really struggled I probably blame that or um, say that the cause for that is that cultural hit just going from the Dominican from your home to, to the U.S. and just like that expected to start playing that's definitely some reason so we were expected to see hey how is Dioville going how is he going to look so these two weeks where he's just been doing so good, um, it's just great to see him doing so well. Um, he got on base literally half in half of his at-bats last week, six walks. I love to see um, plate discipline at those lower levels from, yeah. from young guys. Um, by the way, talking about plate discipline, what do you say we go here to one of our questions um, from, from Eli, from Matt Eli Sussman? Um, Here's his questions. Just like in 2019 rookie ball, Nassim Nunez is drawing walks at a crazy rate. Do you attribute that to his small size and strike zone, his good eye, or both? Um, always, Eli, with his amazing questions. <laughs> <laughs> I would say his, uh, his size is definitely a factor here. Pitchers are, of course, less polished at this level. So a, a smaller strike zone won't help them at all, obviously. Having said that, though, um, a good eye and plate discipline has always been in, in Nassim's scouting report. We've always know this, known this about him, um, his fielding and his plate discipline, his hit tool. So, so we can't just attribute it all to size. I'd say this is expected, and it's, it's good to see that, that he's executing. Yeah. I mean, I definitely agree. And to answer Eli's question, I, I do think it's, it's both. It's both uh, the limited size cutting down on the strike zone because of that. What is he? Five, nine, not even six foot, probably like 160 pounds, maybe. So 
Yeah, I mean, that definitely goes into it. But then more than that, I think it's just his approach. The guy has this hack and slash kind of approach. I mean, the swing is good. He will hit some eventual gaps. But I think this is more so, you know, the, the for average bat, right? This is a guy that's going to be a leadoff hitter, maybe hit second in a lineup. Maybe if you want to put him at the bottom of the lineup, seventh or eighth, he's the guy that's going to be like the catalyst to, to restart the lineup. But I think eventually like his major league like ceiling, if he hits it, is definitely that of, of a leadoff hitter, just because of obviously of the obvious speed, right? He definitely has that. We definitely saw that in 2019 when he sold 28 bags, only got caught twice between the New York Penn League and mostly the GCL. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's a guy that, that just is the catalytic type guy, a patient bat, a good hack and slash bat, a guy that's just going to be that straight through cut, settle for singles, and then let his speed go to work for him. And then he adds on to that, that great plate plate presence as Eli mentioned. So yeah, I mean, 48 strikeouts to 35 walks in 2019 here in uh, 2021, it's 11 walks to 10 strikeouts in his first appearance in full season ball in the minors. So yeah, I mean, just great to see still a 20 year old kid. He's about to turn 21, not too long from now, but uh, just great, great to see here at the end of the season, he turns 21 in August. So yeah, I mean, awesome to see. This is a guy who's going to be really, really good. Great defense. We saw that amazing play that he made behind Sean Reynolds, who was pitching late in a game where he just was all out for the baseball, pops Crazy. up to his feet in a second, and then just guns the guy out at first base from behind the second base bag pretty much. So, I mean, great to see. Great range. Just fantastic arm. Great speed. Puts it all together, man. I mean, this is a guy who obviously might have been forgotten about a little bit because of the last season, but he's turning on, man. And, you know, if, if, if he can really, you know, turn that bat on, he's only hitting 171 so far this season. So you want to see a little more there out of the average because that's his best tool, right? So still early in the season. I think he'll pick that up. The walks will follow. This is a great piece, man. I'm, I'm really excited about Nassim. Absolutely, man. All right, so I guess we'll uh, we'll go to my second guy. Uh, I did mention that we had Federico as my first guy. The second guy that I want to mention is, um, you know, it's a guy that I've kind of been high on since the start of the season. I've mentioned him on this show as well as other shows that I've been on as a guest. Um, it's Troy Johnson. Um, comes to the Hammerheads in 2021 after a pretty good first showing with Batavia in 2019, 377, 373, 399. And that was after he played 55 games with Gonzaga, obviously in college, and then he plays 59 games. So obviously the most extensive year of his professional baseball career or baseball career as a whole, amateur included, right? So always like to see that immediate translation. And he's always had, I mean, he, he did have a really good showing before that with the wood bat in the summer league after his freshman season. So yeah, a guy that's just been able to get it done at all levels. He hit 312, 386, 515 in college. Went four for 22 in his first uh, series of the year. Um, that series, this series, I should say, he was virtually unstoppable. Reach, reach base every game. He hit in five of six of them. He's 10 for his last 23. Got two doubles, six RBIs, four walks, three strikeouts. He's hitting 293, 388, 386. And Daniel, there's one word to describe Troy Johnson. It's just simple. He's not the tallest dude, but he packs on some muscle. He's listed at six foot to 10. So a pretty similar build to a higher level prospect of ours in Peyton Burdick, but he has a big difference to Peyton Burdick in that he really isn't quite as physical as Burdick is at the plate, where Burdick has that pretty beautiful violence to his swing, you know, just, just gets after pitches and really employs his physicality. Troy's a physical dude. He has a good build, but he's more of that take what I can get kind of hitter. 
just gets the bat out via good bat speed, trusts his swing, takes what he can get. And as good as Burdick is, there's nothing wrong with a hitter like this, especially as a lower-level prospect. So, yeah, especially with your the raw strength that he has, like I just said, it's enough to drive the ball, enough to collect extra bases. He's just a great, patient hitter with simplicity in the swing, man. That's what I really like about Troy Johnston. That's kind of why I mentioned that he's kind of that Nick Markakis light kind of guy that he can kind of get to that level. Obviously, that's a big comparison. Yeah. We're not saying he's going to be him, especially not at this level. But that's the kind of hitter he is, just a simplistic hitter. He can get walks. He can hit for average. He can hit the eventual gap. So, man, I, I really like him. And another thing to mention on him is that they are trying him out at first base. Obviously, that's a position of need for the Marlins, was originally an outfielder. They're putting him at first base. He looks pretty good there. Looks fine. Um, you know, if his production continues, I want to see him challenge, man. Another guy on this Hammerheads team I want to see challenge. He's 23 years old. Absolutely. And it's um, it's how about that outfield traffic, man? I mean, yeah. you got J.D. Orr also killing yeah. it in Jupiter. And you just have nowhere to put him, right? Because yeah. in Beloit, you have Conine, you yeah. have Connor Scott, you have Meisner, you have Thomas Jones. So, you know, they probably need to be promoted, but who do you send up? You got Blade and Burdick. Yep. And then double A with Gerard Carnacion. I mean, same in triple A with his Susan, everybody. So yeah, that, that, that's the, and I'm doing air quotes here problem. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but yeah, it happens. Like we, we saw Victor Victor go down. Hopefully it's nothing too serious. Right. Um, that may be, may create a hole. Maybe it's a Connor Scott season in double A yeah. who knows. Um, but just some beautiful traffic for our outfielders. So it's good to see him being uh you know playing some first base gerard playing some first base you know well, we're gonna need that versatility yeah and that's something that the marlins have preached you know since the arrival of Derek jeter not only kim ang but Derek jeter is that they want these guys to be versatile they don't want them to be you know a, a, a single faceted player that can only play at one spot right so you're going to see guys especially these lower level prospects or even mid-level prospects like gerard they're going to get challenged to different spots so it, it's a joy to see uh, a guy like Troy Johnston, you know, who isn't the highly heralded prospect, but it's good to see him be able to get into games, right? Even that Jupiter team has some traffic in the outfield, as Daniel mentioned, with Victor Mesa Jr. and now Dewell Burgos. And, you know, of course, J.D. Orr, who Daniel also just mentioned, another guy who I want to see get challenged. He's an older guy. But anyways, <laughs> the point stand. Uh, yeah, I mean, just you're going to see guys get challenged to different spots. So it's great to see Troy maybe doesn't have the prototypical first base build. He's not the tallest guy in the world, but um, he's looked fine over there from what I've seen, man. And, you know, it, it's, it's great to see that. Obviously with the DH coming as well may open up some possibilities. So good to see those, uh, those mid to lower tier prospects, especially outfield prospects, as Daniel said, get, get challenged in different, different positions. And Troy's one of them. All right. So uh, we'll go on. Uh, that's all I think all we have for Jupiter, Daniel. We'll, we'll go on to uh, single advanced with the Beloit snappers. Um, here is their series. They go four and two with a plus nine run differential. So really good uh, series for them. Uh, next up for them is a series in Cedar Rapids, which is a twins single advanced affiliate. Uh, the Boyd Snappers, a great stat here. They lead high A central, the high A central in home runs. They're fourth in slugging percentage and fifth in OPS. And we're going to point out a couple of reasons why. So Daniel, I'll let you go ahead first. Sure. Um, and we, we said it, right? This Beloit team, a lot of power, a lot of strikeouts. That's yeah. what you can expect. Um, my two guys. All right, I'll start with Tyler Mitzel. 
Uh, not many people talk about Tyler Mitchell, but he's been doing well. Um, so I want to kind of bring him, just, you know, get some word out on him on our show. Yeah. Uh, a guy who, um, you know, he has that again, he's had a very, really good start to the season and really enjoyed a solid second week. He appeared in two games, pitched 3.2 innings, no runs, two hits, one walk, and four Ks. He has a 1.35 ERA this season. Um, so you start getting to know him a little. Mitchell is a 6'4 righty who went undrafted after his final season in the um, NCAA, where, where he pitched for three different colleges. Yeah. His big pitch, like his pitch, his signature pitch is the changeup. Mm-hmm. That's what you can expect. If you're a hitter, you're, you're, you're getting Mitchell. It's a changeup. It's a beautiful pitch, crazy movement, um, which which makes his low 90s fastball look much better than it actually is. Um, so, yeah, that, that that's what you can look for regarding Tyler Mitchell. He's also a guy who will definitely pitch at double A if he stays healthy. He just turned 25 a, a few days ago. So happy birthday, Tyler, if you're listening. <laughs> um <laughs> So that's Tyler Mitchell for you guys. And I would say my hitter, Thomas Jones, in our introduction to the to the minor league season pod that we recorded right before opening day, I mentioned Thomas Jones as a guy to monitor. Um, well, he had his breakout week, the second week of the season, 333 average, 429 OBP, 400 slugging with four steals. I mean, that's four steals in six games. Jones is, um, he's a player who will provide exactly that, you know, both speed and power. I've mentioned him as a guy who has gotten a little better every season he plays, but kind of like at a snail pace, you know, he's like not really good, then a little bit better, then a little bit better, just not great, but you can just see the tools. Um, Well, you know, if he can show something similar to what he did last week on a more constant basis, um, he won't be employed for long either. Yeah. I mean, uh, just a, a quick follow-up on, on both of Daniel's guys. Um, Tyler Mitzel, this is a guy who, um, as Daniel mentioned, had a pretty interesting collegiate career, goes undrafted, um, comes to the Marlins uh, as an undrafted free agent. And I mean, in, in Clinton in 2019, part of that really, really solid Clinton Lumber Kings pitching staff, right? So yeah, I mean, it's good to see him get challenged to the next level. Um, his first outing, he did allow a home run. That's something he has not done a lot of. I think in that uh, season in Clinton, just, just five homers allowed. So this is the guy who he had, what, like 42 innings pitched there, uh, uh, 46.1 innings pitched there. He also had three innings uh, with the Gulf Coast League. So, yeah, I mean, it's just a guy who, who limits damage. Great changeup. Another guy who doesn't have, like, heavy, heavy velo, but really, really good changeup to him. I think, if I'm not mistaken, that he doesn't have much of a third pitch. But man, that changeup is so good. And then he's mixes in the fastball, change up tunnels off of it. So it's it's enough to to get him through at least one inning, if not a couple innings, um, you know, in a uh, in any such appearance. So um, yeah, it, it's another solid kind of uh, mid to back end bullpen guy. Um, yeah, I mean, and he, as Daniel said, he's he's a little bit of an older guy, just turned twenty five, uh, actually on May tenth. So uh, a uh, continued happy birthday for me to Tyler if he does wind up listening to this. That would be awesome. Uh, but yeah, j- just a solid, a solid bullpen arm. So I'm excited to see how he builds off of this um, effective outing that he had here for Beloit. Um, could be a good, a good arm to follow as that mid to back end guy, like I said. And then Thomas Jones, 
Um, Thomas Jones is a guy who's been around a while, and it's a guy that the Marlins have been waiting for. They've been waiting to see, you know, that that the full tools on display. Um, and if he can do it, it's another guy who has the same kind of tools as Monte Harrison because he's such a big dude and he's got the speed and the power to mix in. It's just a guy who hasn't done it. He hasn't had that big jump, right? As Daniel mentioned, he's been a guy who's kind of gotten a little better. You've seen a little bit of signs. You see a little bit of this, a little bit of that. You really want to see that big jump at this point in his career, right? So that's what you want to see out of Thomas Jones. I think that's probably why he started this season where he did. Um, yeah, so, you know, we just want to see that that bigger jump. And hopefully, you know, sometime here in his time in single advance, he can do so before he gets a double A because I think he could still be a good piece, if not as an outfielder, definitely as a DH type for the Marlins because he has great speed and really good power. So that's the that's a solid. Yeah, that, that is a solid comparison with, with Monte. Um, but yeah, his, his improvement, Thomas Jones' improvement, slow, but it's coming. Like 2017, 596 OPS. 2018, 621 OPS. Uh, 2019, 714 OPS, which, you know, 714, it's its best season. It's pretty average, but it's still there. The same with his K rate. It's been going down like 1% every season. So we're kind of waiting for this breakout um season for him and maybe it's this year who knows yeah and still 23 right and he'll be 23 all this mm. season he doesn't turn exactly. 24 until december so yeah i mean it's it's a guy who 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 you want to see that big jump from but is it time to say is it this season or bust i don't think so you know i, I think thomas jones can still be that late bloomer kind of guy um you know and really i do liken his skill set to monte harrison it's just the guy you want it and really where he is in his career he's i think he is a little bit younger than monte but um, just a guy that is in that same kind of boat, right? That you want to see it. You know he has the skill set to do it. It's just can he put it on display against, um, you know, affiliated stuff? That's what you want to see. We'll see what happens with with uh, with um, Thomas Jones. But yeah, definitely um, a guy to watch in Beloit. Uh, all right, so uh, I'll get to mine. Um, and my first one is going to be Griffin Conine. We did talk about him on our last show, Daniel, uh, in response to one of our questions. And we kind of spoke a, a little bit in the negative about him because of his K rate. Um, and today we're kind of going in the other direction and we're pointing him out as a standout producer. Why is that? Uh, since we last spoke, he's improved his batting average from 158 to 225. So while it's still not spectacular, right, it's early in the season and he took a big jump. Uh, the other stats that I wanted to get to, his slugging percentage, it went from 316 to 550. So big jump there. Uh, and uh, he went six for 21 in this series with three home runs, a double and five RBIs. So there's the reason for that big jump in slugging percentage as well as that slight boost in batting average. Um, yesterday, he went yard twice, both solo shots. The day before, he hits a walk-off. So also, this is huge, very huge for me, and I know it's only four of them, but he walked four times, right? So the Ks were still there, and they always will be for a guy with this skill set and what we know from his background, but what is he doing? He's working more deep counts. I think he's swinging at better pitches from what I was tracking on game day and from videos that I saw from people that were in attendance as well as local Beloit news. Of course, Beloit at Pullman Field, um, it's an older field that doesn't really have the capacity for MILB.TV. They will be gaining that when they move into their new stadium in July. Daniel, I know you're excited for that. I am as well. I'm sure Beloit is as well. So we could see more of these, um, these Beloit prospects uh, here later in the second half of the season. So that's going to be great. But anyways, back to Griffin. Uh, yeah, uh, we mentioned it last show. He was fishing a lot out of the zone. Really quelled that in this series and looked 100% better Hopefully this is the start of Griffin developing a little bit better patience and getting a little bit better feel for the strike zone and his plate vision, because if he connects, man, the ball goes really far. 
and it does so on a regular basis. So excited to see Griffin as we go along. Uh, all right, so that's Griffin Kona, and I'll get to my next guy, uh, my pitcher, and it's an obvious one, Daniel, <laughs> is Zach McCambly. Uh, the best pitching performance of the week system-wide probably, and via some of the best stuff that we saw system-wide. Tuesday, his line in that home opener for the Snappers, seven innings pitched, eight strikeouts, and that's it. <laughs> that's your pitching line for Zach McCambly. Um, how did he <laughs> set down 21 guys in a row? I'll give it to you in one term, two words, spin rate. This guy – it's what he's known for. It gets ridiculous spin rates on all of his pitches. Everything just has super late movement. Fastballs up to like 94, maybe up to 95 with some nice late run. He can place it all over the zone, buries it out of the zone for swings and misses as well. And then you have that, that curveball. <laughs> Daniel, this, this pitch labeled as one of the best in the draft, and it's lived up to that and more in both of his starts. Really tight arc to the pitch, late break to the spot. We also heard from his collegiate, one of his collegiate coaches, Jordan McPherson, actually uh, from the Miami Herald was able to interview him that he can play with a grip on it and manipulate the movement and change the spin rate on that pitch. So that's how advanced this guy's curveball is. And if you're facing an employee or anywhere, even if he gets promoted sometime, good luck, <laughs> good luck, high A central, good luck, double A, good luck, triple A major leagues. You know, if he continues uh, you know, yeah, great, great pitch. Uh, and then he does have the beginnings of a changeup. Uh, like Max Meyer with the fastball slider, he just didn't really need it and still hasn't really needed it this minor league season just yet. We do want to see that pitch a bit more from Zach as he progresses. Through a little bit in this start, I think, Daniel, from what I heard, um, if he can build that pitch up and implement that changeup on top of that uh, fastball curveball, man. This guy, he's got a really big future as a starter. I know a lot of people were saying maybe he goes bullpen. If he had to change up, I think there's no question that he could stick as a starter. Even at this level of development, there's definitely, whether it be starter or reliever, there's big league future written in the cards for him. Absolutely. No, absolutely. I was just so excited to, fortunately, we couldn't watch, but just follow yeah. um, Zach's start. He just looks so good. Um, both, both Zach... Zach and and uh, Kyle Nicholas, they they both they look just as um, advertised. There, we actually also got a question uh, for those two guys from our buddies at Beloit River Rockers. Um, he says they say awesome first starts for both McCambly and Nicholas. What's been the key to success for each so far? Um, so so I'll, I'll I'll answer this one first. Um, for these two guys, to me, and in my opinion, they just look like two middle schoolers playing against elementary kids at this level. Um, Nicholas is just overwhelming them with his stuff, you know, 15 Ks in 10 innings. Like you can just see the, the crazy um, fastball and slider that Kyle has. Well, McCambly, he looks so polished, you know, only two walks in 11 innings. Alex mentioned his crazy spin rate as well. Um, no one's getting hits off them. They both have an average, uh, allowed average of less than 114, 114. Uh, that'll play. <laughs> what do you think? Definitely. Definitely agree. I mean, it, it, you got a little bit of differences in, in Nicholas and, and McCambly where Nicholas is a little higher with the velocity. I think Nicholas is up to like 97 with the velo. Uh, and then, of course, he has that great, great slider, which we love to see. Um, I think the question surrounding Nicholas when he came out of the draft was his strike throwing ability, like his, his consistency to hit the strike zone. Obviously when he was hitting the strike zone with that fastball slider, 
he was awesome. So that's kind of been the question surrounding him uh, leading up to his major league or affiliated career, I should say. Um, and in 10.1 innings, I mean, he really has looked to have answered that question. I mean, I know it's a small sample, but 12 strikeouts to just five walks. So um, it's two different guys who, and we see this a lot with guys that are just coming out of a draft or, or young in their major league careers. You know, you want to see them develop that third pitch. And for both Nicholas and McCambly, it's the changeup. So, you know, that's what you want to see long-term. If you're a Beloit Snappers fan, if you're our friends at Beloit River Rockers, if these guys spend a lot of time with Beloit, which they probably will, right? Both Nicholas and McCambly, I think they probably will spend most of the season, if not all of the season with the Snappers. So what you want to see is the ability to add the third pitch, which they will definitely need at the major league level, as good as their two pitch mixes are, obviously McCambly with the curveball fastball and then Nicholas with the curveball slider, they will need the third pitch. So that's what you want to see long-term is can they develop the changeup? Right now though, man, you can't argue. They've been as advertised as Daniel said, um, you know, Nicholas with slightly heavier velo and then um, McCambly. I mean, as good as, as good as Nicholas's slider is no knock on that whatsoever. That McCandley curveball, man, I think that's one of the best pitches in the system, system-wide. I mean, even compared to Max Meyer slider, which is also up there. But, man, that McCandley curveball, everything that I've seen from that pitch, it's absolutely filthy. He buries it. He places it. He can challenge with it. Great, great pitch. Uh, but, yeah, what you want to see is that, that third pitch development. That's long-term. But right now, great stuff from both those guys. Agreed. Um, second question from, our, from Beloit River Rockers. Conine is hitting up. But four other snappers regulars, Banfield, Hollins, Meisner, and Reddy, are still hitting below Mendoza line. Who's your pick to break out this week? Um, even though Nick Reddy already started to heat up, he actually had a 1028 OPS. He's still, again, as you said, below the Mendoza line, but he's already starting. Like his, his first week was so bad that even with a 1028 OPS this week, um, he's still down there um but heating up i'd say my pick for next week is is cam meisner um, he was hurt for a few days to start the season and still looks like he's getting accustomed but i feel that that's a guy that when he finds it he will find it you know like we will know um so he's definitely my pick what do you think alex yeah, I mean, you kind of alluded to, to my guy, and I definitely don't blame you with, with Cam Meisner and everything that he has the potential to do. But I, I think my guy is probably Nick Reddy, man. I mean, uh, although he had a really horrible first series, um, I guess, Wisconsin, um, he only had one hit. Um, this series was, was a step in the proper direction for him, right? And why is that? His first game, he goes one for four. He hits a home run, uh, had uh, four RBIs. So there you go. That says all you need to know there. His second game, uh, he gets three walks, which, I mean, that's really not in his usual skill set to draw a ton of walks, and he gets three in one game. I mean, I, I don't know how the stats in front of me, but that may be the first time in his affiliated career that he's walked three times in one game. So clearly he maybe has started to see the ball a little bit better. That's great to see. Um, and then the next game he comes back in that series against, uh, you know, the, uh, the Cubs, I think it was, and he gets two hits, two for three, right, with a double. Also adds in an RBI, so another good game. Did go 0 for 4 on the 15th, uh, and then just going through the last game, another homer, <laughs> another four RB or another two RBIs, I should say. Uh, yeah, so this is a guy who's just getting it done. I mean, really solid. Um, I, I I really really think that this is a guy who could break out here shortly uh, for 
for the Beloit Snappers. And I mean, he has all the strength in the world, all the power in the world. I really like him. I think this is a guy that <laughs> it's funny. Every time Eli asks a question or, or from Fish Strikes, our buddy Eli, you ask a question about a guy being down or makes a prediction about a guy being up, the opposite happens. And it's happened again here with Nick Reddy. He kind of alluded to that on Twitter here recently. So kind of funny to see that. But yeah, I mean, um, Nick Reddy, I think this is the pick. The pick to stick for me this week, if you ask me, <laughs> I don't blame you at all on Cam Meisner. Daniel, it's a great pick. But I would say if I had to guess right now, it'd be Nick Reddy. Probably going to be Bubba Hollis. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. <laughs> uh, um, last Beloit question from at Alex underscore Haas. Is Simpson the most dominant left-handed pitcher in Beloit? Um, I'd say for me, the most dominant left-handed pitcher in Beloit is Zach King. Yeah. But Simpson is definitely up there with him. Um, Zach King is a, another another Vandy boy, right? I love to see him being challenged as a starter. So it's great to see that. He has done well. Um, I'd like to just keep monitoring him to see um, what happens when he gets more accustomed to that starter's routine, right? Josh, Josh Simpson, though, has looked amazing, like just pretty much untouchable with a 169 ERA for the season and a 0.50 whip. To really gauge their stuff and like really, really come here with an answer, uh, I'd like to see them a bit more in games. So I'll obviously keep watching those um, Beloit games and see how how good their stuff actually is and um and yeah from there come with a more specific answer yeah and it's a little hard to gauge right now just because we haven't seen a lot of them right we didn't see a lot of simpson when he was pitching with the batavia muck dogs in 2018 and then we weren't able to watch a lot of zach king we did see i think we were able to watch his first outing which was not very good where he went 4.2 innings and allowed four runs, three walks, four strikeouts. Um, but then he did have a, a fairly effective start here um, for the numbers uh, against the Cubs. It was what? Uh, six innings pitched, five hits, four runs, three earned, one walk, four strikeouts. So this is a guy who's been a reliever basically his entire career um, in, in college. And now the Marlins are trying him out as a starter. Will that stick? Personally, I don't think so. I think he has a relief ceiling, if you ask me right now. But the ability to show that he can go six innings and only give up three on runs, that's great. I mean, may maybe there is something to him being challenged as a starter. I mean, I kind of do see him more being better out of the stretch than the windup. So, yeah, I think this is the guy who, for me right now, seeing what we've seen, I think it's, it's bullpen. And if you ask me who has the best stuff as a lefty, I think it still has to be him. He do does only have pretty much two pitches right now. Again, another guy coming out who does need to add a third pitch. We'll talk about a lot of those guys at the lower levels. So, yeah, this is a guy who definitely needs to add a third pitch, more of a third pitch, I should say, if he is going to be a starter. I see him more as a reliever. But, yeah, as Daniel said, Josh Simpson's been been really good. So, yeah, I mean, uh, if you ask me who's better in terms of stuff or most dominant, I would definitely say it's Zach King in limited showings. Um, but, yeah, uh, we'll see what he does in his development as a starter. But I think he is a bullpen guy in the future. All right, so I guess that will do it for our friends in Beloit. We'll head up to, or head down, I should say, to uh, AA Pensacola. They go two and four with a negative 18 run differential. Next up, they'll stay at home and they'll face uh, a new minor league team this year, the Rocket City Trash Pandas. Uh, love that name, by the way. 
Um, we'll get to our two guys. Daniel, uh, again, I'll let you go first. Sure thing. Um, Jeff Lindgren, right? That's not a name that yeah. is, is, is uh, heard too much, but this is a guy who really surprised me. He had an amazing, he was just amazing in, in his start this week. Um, seven innings, seven Ks, one earned run, two hits, zero walks. He had a shaky first inning where he hit two guys, but after that, he just got better and better. Deadly fastball slider combination the whole game. Um, didn't really have to throw a third pitch too much with how good the other two pitches were working, but he did try to throw a change up here and there. That honestly didn't look very sharp, but don't you worry there, Alex. Our pitching development development team does magic, especially with, with those change-ups. Um, we'll see it with McCambly and, um, and Nicholas, and we'll probably see it with, with Lindgren too, see how he keeps using that. Um, so I was actually talking to you, Alex, uh, about Lindgren before recording, and I was just telling you that I was just like, so impressed with this start. This guy got drafted in the 24th round in 2019 and was used exclusively as a reliever that season and he didn't pitch above high A. For him to not only get challenged at a higher level, but, you know, have his first start as a pro uh, come up with these numbers that I mentioned against this team, keep in mind that this is the same lineup that shelled Max Meyer. Um, that's really impressive, and I love to see how he follows it up. He looks at the part, man. I, I watched his start, and he just – as I mentioned, he just kept getting better, better every single inning. And um, this is double A, man. This isn't, you know, they didn't like, okay, let's see him start in Jupiter or something. No, no. They said, hey, give us a start in double A. And the guy goes seven innings, seven Ks, one and run. Um, really exciting to see. So let's see how he, how he um, continues. And my other guy who didn't really like the word world on fire, <clears throat> but that I think we should talk about is J.J. Pladeh. Um, he really hasn't found his game yet this season, but we have seen flashes of it. We saw that beautiful swing on that monster home run that he sent to the, to the water. Um, he almost hit that boat that you can see there in the, in the background. Um, 346 OBP for the week, 409 slugging. For Blade, you know, that's, that's fine. We do expect more from him. It's okay. He's just striking out so much, and um, you know how much he's hating it. He spoke passionately about how much um, he detests striking out in, in, in spring training in a press conference. His fielding, though, has been pretty great to start the season. They put him in center field even before Victor Victor was injured, and he has shown um, range, speed, and a cannon for an arm. By the way, J.J.'s speed is pretty underrated, man. I mean, he can move. Everybody has him like 40 or 45 or something, maybe 50, but he's pretty fast. That guy can move. Um, I definitely see him dominating next week. I think, I think next week will be his, um, his first week where, where he really has it down. So I'm going to say it right here. Mark him down for two home runs this upcoming week. Yeah, great picks, Daniel, as, as always. Um, you know, we, we talked, as you said, about Jeff Lindgren. And again, another, you know, deeper down guy, maybe unheralded guy, um, you know, and it's a guy, another guy, and this is a guy at, at an upper level, as you stated, Daniel, needs to add a third pitch. Um, can the development team 
get him that pitch. Obviously, this Marlins development team is capable of magic. So I don't wouldn't necessarily say it's going to require magic for him to gain that third pitch. I think he does have a little bit of a feel for one already. Um, but you definitely want to see that. Was it amazing to see him come in and do what he did? Absolutely. I mean, that's great to see from Jeff Lindgren. That's absolutely everything you could have asked for from him. So, yeah, I mean, just the guy that looks solid. I mean, didn't do a lot of starting, I guess I should say, in his um, collegiate, well, at least not until the the final year of his collegiate season, he didn't do a lot of starting. And then didn't do any at all in 2019. Looked like the Marlins wanted him to make him a bullpen piece. So was this just a day to get him a start and to, you know, to just say, hey, we, we need you to start today and, and do what you can do, and then we'll put you back in the bullpen. I don't know. It, it, do they want to maybe get a little look as a starter uh, uh, of him as a starter? I definitely think that's possible after what he did. Maybe it started out as, you know, hey, you're just going to get a start today, and then we're going to put you back in the pen. But, man, after what he did, I think he should definitely get another look. So, yeah, definitely good to see from, from Jeff Lindgren, just not a guy that's talked about a lot uh, in terms of top prospects. So good to see from an unheralded guy. And then JJ Lede, yeah, just no worries whatsoever. This guy's going to get it going. Whether it's this week, whether it's next week, you know, it, it is what it is. This guy, there's there's no worry around him whatsoever, especially after a lost season. Uh, great spring training, um, shows all the tools, did have that awesome home run, as, as Daniel stated, which pretty much almost went into Pensacola Bay. So I think you're going to see a lot of that going forward in the future with his future in Pensacola and then also with the Marlins. He just has every tool, man. And that's who J.J. Lede is. So slow start aside, no worries at all about, about J.J. Lede. All right, so uh, we'll go on to, I guess, my two guys. And I guess my first guy is probably one that guys have heard of before, maybe unlike Jeff Lindgren, who was on Daniel's list. But uh, I guess it, uh, my guy would have to be, my first guy would have to be Gerard Encarnacion, who uh, was another slow starter, kind of like how Burdick and Blade and other guys on this Pensacola offense are starting. Um, he started two for his first 13. He did hit a grand slam in the last game of that opening series. So that might have shown you that he's starting to get things going. And then he parlays that into this series and he goes six for 22. He had another homer in the second game of the series. He hit a triple and he doubled twice. He also walked three times. He does have 19 Ks, which of course is part of the course where a power hitter like him and other guys that we've talked about already on the show with Griffin and Reddy and other guys at lower level. So you are going to see him strike out a lot, but the fact that he was able to walk a little bit, you do like to see that. Uh, the biggest indicator for me for Gerard in this series and this season as a whole, really, is he's going oppo pretty regularly, right? So although it's a small sample size, 48 of, 48% of the balls he's put in play have gone oppo this year. In 2019, that number was 31%. And in 2018, it was around 35%. So obviously it's early, as I said, in the season, but the fact that he's covering the plate better, he's going with pitches more, and he's hitting balls oppo the best that he ever has at the highest level he's ever played at, that's a huge sign for Gerard Encarnacion. I still remember asking Don Mattingly that question after we saw him go yard in a spring training game, I believe back in the 2020 spring training season before the shutdown. And he said that his power is off the charts and that going oppo is the key for him. And if he gains that ability, he'll be an unquestioned major league power hitter. So also really, really important uh, he's played a really good first base. Nice lateral movements. It's virtually impossible to overthrow this guy. He's huge. So even with the DH coming, coming, he's playing at a position of need for the Marlins organization and showing an improved offensive skill set with that ability to go oppo. 
So watch out, guys. This guy is going to be a monstrous, monstrous power first bat if this kind of production continues and follows him to AAA and into the majors. I would probably expect, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, Daniel, with what you think, that I would expect Gerard to be in AAA pretty shortly. Um, you know, once a Lewin Diaz gets called up, I think that's Gerard's spot for the taking, man. I agree, but what do you, I mean? What do you do with Lewin, Lewin, and um, yeah, and Aguilar? You know, I yeah. mean, Aguilar can that's only play first base. Um, the only way that we'll that we'll see Lewin Diaz at the major league level is if something really bad happens <laughs> and Aguilar is hurt. Or, or something happens. And I don't know if I'd love to see Lewin go up, you know, to start one or two games a week. Right. So, um, yeah, obviously, if, if, if he gets hurt, that was me knocking on wood. Um, if Aguilar gets hurt, that'll happen, and Gerard may, may go to AAA immediately. But until that happens, it's, it's pretty hard to move those guys. Yeah, I mean, and it also goes into the, the, the you know, the versatility that we stated before that Gerard can still play in the outfield. Right. And we do have these expiry contracts in the outfield that are coming up. Obviously you'll probably see Jesus Sanchez first. You'll probably see guys like Monte Harrison first before you probably see a guy like Gerard Encarnacion, especially if he's in double a, but it's something that could happen this year. Now that he's playing multiple positions, I think maybe you could see him get called up. Obviously you want to see him playing in games. You want to see Lewin Diaz playing in games. You don't want to see him sitting around as Daniel just mentioned. So Maybe, just maybe, and this is me guessing, you could see a guy like Gerard that plays multiple spots, right? He plays first base, plays in the outfield because he has that versatility. Maybe you could see him come up before a guy like Lewin Diaz. Obviously, that's down the road a little bit. Obviously, we have to see what happens with guys like Aguilar, Cooper, stuff like that, where the Marlins decide to go with these outfielders. Everything that happens, it's all going to go into it. So this is the beginning of the season, but I definitely think, you know, because of that versatility that Gerard now has, that we could see him come up sometime this year as one of those initial guys to get called up. So obviously he's in double A, got to see what happens. But yeah, I, I really like uh, Gerard as an option, maybe some point this season. All right, so we'll go to my next guy, and it's my pitcher, um, and it's Will Stewart. So Will Stewart, the third piece of the Sixto Alfaro deal for Real Muto, uh, he really, really struggled in 2019 at single A advanced with the Jupiter Hammerheads. His area was over five. His whip was almost like 1.4. He gave up 13 bombs in the Florida State League, and that's not easy to do because this is not a great hitters league, and he gave up 13. So yeah, not a great year for him there. So what did he do this past Saturday? Uh, I believe it was his second start in double A for the Wahoos. So he goes six innings, four hits, two walks, two strikeouts. Biggest difference, plain and simple, getting back to his strengths. We talked to Nick Fortes, who called him a lot in Jupiter, and a guy who he said to us on that Pensacola uh, media call that they had a couple weeks ago, that he's really good friends with, and he's gotten to know really well in their time in the organization. So great to see that, building a relationship. Past that. Nick told us that in 2019, with that year I just said he struggled, he was pressuring himself a little bit too much and getting away from what got him to the point that he was at. Uh, he's actually quoted, uh, actually, Will is actually quoted in the Miami Herald saying that he tried to live up to the trade. And that's a quote. So trying to live up to being a part of the trade for JT Belmuto. And obviously anybody would tell you that that's not a way to play, putting so much pressure on yourself. Just go out there and be yourself, right? And that's what Nick says Will is doing this season. He's back to pitching to his strengths. 
We also know from spring training that Will had kind of maybe a moment of clarity for him during this layoff, obviously the COVID layoff of the midseason. He worked in the hospital amid this pandemic. So Will said the experience really opened his eyes and put things into perspective for him. He said that, unfortunately, he was experiencing kids his own age passing away just around him from this awful disease. So, yeah, I mean, that's got to do something for your mindset and saying, hey, this is how lucky I am. I just got to go out there and be myself, right? I just got to go out there and trust who I am, trust what I do. And that's definitely what it appears that Will Stewart is doing. Because in this start, Daniel, 13, 13 ground ball outs. So gave up 13 homers in single in single events in the Hammerheads. And now he gets 13 ground ball outs in his second start. At Definitely the what you want to see from Will. Definitely. Exactly. That's the soft tossing lefty that this guy is. That's how he made his career. That's what he's hopefully getting back to. Just avoiding barrels. He's got three pitches to him. Doesn't touch 93. Everything moves well, though. Uh, and the delivery for me, Daniel, is really crazy. And, you know, he's not the biggest guy in the world. He's 6'1", 180. He has this, like, wing Spanish type delivery, though, where he goes, like, all the way behind his back down low with the pitch and then comes out over the top. So it's a tough guy to pick up despite his limited size. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's just just a hard guy to pick up, hard guy to time, really tricky delivery, different look, softer stuff, doesn't let the bats get on him too much, not much over the fence ability if he's commanding. So if Stewart can save this guy that we saw in the star, Daniel, he's back-end rotational material. So great to see another piece of that trade succeeding while both Sixto and Alfaro are on the I.L. Absolutely, man. Agreed. Really want Will to do well. He's a great guy. I talked to him a couple times when I when I was up in, in spring training over there, and I just want to see this guy succeed. So, absolutely agreed. Um, before leaving Pensacola, a couple notes. Uh, you're hiding under a rock. Jake Eater continues <laughs> his dominance. <laughs> Uh, this kid has been amazing. Another seven Ks in five innings. That slider is exquisite. Uh, he still hasn't allowed a run uh, in, in two starts. Really excited to watch him pitch on Wednesday, probably. Max Meyer really struggled last week. He didn't have any control, to be honest. He gave up, I believe it was five runs in like four innings. He just wasn't hitting his spots. Um, he'll learn from this start, hopefully grow better to go through these growing pains. Now um, that's what the, you know, minor league baseball, that's what this is for. And Burdick, man, Burdick is hurting yeah. right now. He's walking, but he's not hitting the ball and he's striking out so much. He just, uh, he needs to adjust to this level. You know, he jumped from, from, Clinton, you know, that's low A to double A. Um, he will. You guys saw him in spring training. He's polished enough. A crazy, beautiful swing. He'll get it, um, but he's hurting. Yeah, I mean, uh, Jake Eater, just as Daniel said, just, just this guy's just a joy to watch. I mean, obviously, as we saw with Max Meyer, there's going to be times for these guys that are making this huge jump out of a draft straight into double a ball and they're going to struggle. And we saw it with Max Meyer. I'm sure Daniel, and you'll probably agree with me. We will see it from Jake eater, but these first two starts from eater have just been a pleasure to watch like those games. There's other games going on or on around the minor league system, but when he's pitching, I'm tuned into Pensacola, man, I'm watching him and he looks really, really solid. So love to see it from Jake eater Meyer. He did have a small setback as Daniel said, but like I said, it, it's going to happen. These guys are straight out of a draft. They're pitching at this level. We're going to see it and you'll see it from eater eventually and we're seeing it right now 
from Peyton Burdick. Obviously, he was drafted a little bit earlier than those two, but played last, as Daniel said, at single A, and he makes this huge jump up. So with these guys that the Marlins challenge to this level, they're expecting this. They're not expecting them to go out there, you know, and, and hit home runs in every at bat or strike every guy out in every inning that they pitch. They're, they're expecting them to have to have these bumps in the road. And, and that is what it is. I mean, if, if you're going to challenge guys like this at this level, they're going to have their struggles. So Burdick, yeah, it's it's a real struggle, especially how highly heralded he was um, in spring training and during the offseason. And especially after that season in Clinton, it's tough to see him hitting 077 with 16 strikeouts does have the 10 walks as Daniel mentioned um, does have the one home run and two doubles, but I, I think he's, he's just getting acclimated, right? He's getting his feet wet. He's starting to learn how to time these guys view this pitching. He's going to be fine. Meyer's going to be fine. Eater is doing fine. So yeah, let's just see how they go. I, I don't know what blasphemy you're talking about, but, but Eater is never going to struggle. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. All right. So. Yeah, he's, he's definitely going to struggle, but. <laughs> I can dream. Exactly. All right. We'll uh, move on to our last level, guys. Triple uh, A, uh, the Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp. They go four and two, negative six run differential. Uh, they have next up the Norfolk Tides, uh, and they will be uh, traveling to Norfolk to face the Tides. Uh, this is a team that they just saw in their first series, and they lost just one game against them in that first uh, series. Put up some great run, a great run differential. We talked about that last time on the show uh, in that series. So yeah, excited to see them face this team again, especially with how well this offense did pretty much the same offense. So yeah. Um, and that's going to happen a lot during the minor league season. We're going to see the same arms. So we'll see it here first from the shrimp facing the same team here early in the season. So we'll get to our guys. Uh, Daniel, go ahead. Can I pick jazz? <laughs> <laughs> you can. No, no, I'll pick Jazz. We all know what Jazz is. He's a, he's a monster. I love him. Um, I'm going to talk about our good old friend Brian Navarretto. Yes. Um, this guy is killing it in Jacksonville, man. Since he, um, since he only played four games this week, I'll talk about what he's been doing since the start of the season. Just a 1260 OPS in eight games. Um, that's crazy. Three home runs, 346 average. This guy has been great for Miami since he got here. In case you don't remember, he actually made his MLB debut last season during the COVID outbreak. Didn't look bad at all doing it. Even though this guy was born in Puerto Rico, he went to high school in Jacksonville. So he's currently playing in his home city and got drafted in the sixth round as in the um, 2013 draft, I believe. So before coming to Miami, he hadn't really shown any prowess with the bat, but he has been developing some power and, and then just better bat skills. He's still 26. Like you, you see him and he looks like he's 33. Like he looks like this journeyman catcher. He isn't. I mean, he's still 26 years old. That's a solid age for a catcher. So this is a guy who we shouldn't write off at all. Um, yeah. He's still here. Yeah. He's here for depth. There's a few guys above him in the, the catcher depth chart, but it's not a really deep depth chart. We all know it. We, we've, we've all suffered it. Um, so he can definitely be valuable for, for the Marlins organization if he keeps um, hitting. Uh, he also has a crazy arm, by the way. Great caught stealing rates throughout his career. Yeah, Brian Everetto is just kind of coming out of nowhere with what he's doing with the bat, man. And as Daniel said, he adds in the great arm, which he's kind of been known for that. 
Um, good framer as well, too, I think. I think he's really handled this um, AAA staff pretty well, Yeah. Um, even yeah. through some struggles that some guys have had there. But, I mean, I think he's handling them pretty well. Um, yeah, I mean, you look at first and second in the Marlins minor league system in terms of weighted runs created plus. The first guy, of course, is Jesus Sanchez, and second in weighted runs created plus so far this season is Brian Navarretto. So something to be said for that. I mean, this guy's clearly found something with the bat. I mean, it's got a really smooth-looking swing offensive catcher i mean everybody was clamoring for a catcher you know us to sign a guy in the offseason or go after somebody in a trade i obviously i don't think either me or daniel thinks that brian abaretto is the catcher of the future for the miami marlins but in this landscape where the marlins have jorge alfaro chad wallach and sandy leone as their closest guys to being major league ready catchers um you like to see this kind of production at the triple a level from brian abaretto and it's another guy who has a lot of fun playing the game. We saw him in spring training. He's actually quite the um, the rapper, apparently, as well. So <laughs> cool personality in Brian Everetto. And, yeah, I mean, could we see him sometime this season, Daniel, with the Marlins, do you think? I think so, yeah. I think he'll get another shot. Awesome. Yes. Love to see Love to see that from, from Brian Everetto. Uh Daniel, you got a second guy? Um, not too much on him. I mean, but we, we know that Jose Devers was sent down to Jacksonville. Um, and he just hit the ground running 850 OPS in his first week doing what he does. Um, a couple extra base hits to go with, with that 350 OBP. He got the speed, he got the fielding. Um, I'm just, I'm really high on that kid. Yeah, definitely agree. I mean, Jose comes back down from his assignment with the Marlins and just same guy. So yeah, cool to see him get some experience with the with the big league club, get his feet wet, get a couple hits in. Pretty cool to see. He made some good plays in the field with the Marlins as well. And now he's in AAA. And man, can't argue. Doing really well. So yeah, I think um Devers is a guy that they really, really like. Obviously, they wouldn't have kept him around as long as they did if they didn't think he could handle the majors. And I think he handled it pretty well for being such a young kid, going on the road, trying to get used to that. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think he handled that really well, and now he's he's back to his development. So uh, excited to see what Jose does the rest of the year. Um, I'll get to my two. Uh, it's really more just one, and then I'll, I'll throw in a second, as Daniel kind of did. Um, and we, we have to mention this guy. It's Jesus Sanchez, um, and he just keeps going. Uh, we talked about him last show, but more and more, Daniel, he's forcing himself into the, into the minds of the Marlins of Kim Ang. Like you can't hold this guy down much longer. I don't think, I think he's going to very soon be with the Marlins. Uh, he is on the 40 man roster. So you have some freedom there. Here's the stats from this week, despite missing two games as a precaution, looked like he slightly pulled up a bit rounding the bases on uh, what I think was a jazz chism double um, in the first game of that series, but clearly he's feeling no ill effects. He goes five for 13, another Homer, a triple three RBIs. He's hitting an even 500 right now for the shrimp, which is second in minor league baseball. His OPS is 1.585, also second. 307 weighted runs created plus, also second. Daniel, I know it's only two series, man, but if the, if Jesus continues this kind of production in the upcoming series this coming week, right, with guys like Cooper and Brinson, you know, continuing to just be themselves on and off, I guess, if they continue to struggle and maybe if Brinson misses time with injury, we could see that. We know he had a little bit of a finger issue. You know, I don't think there's any way they cannot promote this guy. Bad is there, arms there. As I stated to my buddy Pete, our buddy Pete and others this past week, he's having fun again. He's going to be facing the same pitchers he just saw with the first series of the year. That's what I think, Daniel. I think this guy is going to go off again in this series. 
if he continues this in this upcoming series, I think we got to see him soon. What do you think? I was just Googling who the hell had better numbers than Jesus Sanchez. <laughs> he was second in everything. Max Moroff from yep. the Cardinals. He's coming for you, Max. <laughs> um, to answer your question, no, man, they can't, they can't keep him down. Um, and now the MLB outfielders, they know, you know, they know that they have the pressure, you know, Dickerson's doing great. Um, obviously Starling is out uh, and we kind of have a bit of that hole there. Cooper is struggling. So, you know, he, he needs to get it together. Um, Duval is getting hot, but they know, you know, they know, absolutely know that this guy is coming. So yeah, if anybody gets hurt, he'll come up. I mean, I think he's ready. Yeah, definitely agreed. Uh, we'll get to one last guy. I kind of going to be a little brief on him. I did want to get to one pitcher. There wasn't too much to be excited about with the Jacksonville pitching staff this week, including uh, Daniel, a guy who you and I really both like, and Anthony Maldonado, who's a reliever. He goes down with what did not look to be a comfortable injury whatsoever. It looks like he'll be missing extensive time. So that really sucks. This is a guy who's been coming up and just posting minuscule ERAs his way through the minors as well as overseas. So you hate to see him go down, but um, we definitely wish Anthony Maldonado well. Hopefully he gets back as soon as possible because that's a solid high leverage relief arm out of the bullpen. Absolutely, uh, man. That that broke my heart when I saw it. I'm hoping it's not as bad as it looked, but it, because it did not look good. Uh, I was tweeting about how excited I'm about, I am about that kid, how the Marlins, challenged him to go from like I don't know what was it the GCL yeah. to double A immediately I mean they're really high on that kid so hopefully it's not as bad as it looked what did you think did that did that look shoulder did that did it look um uh elbow I just I wasn't sure yeah I mean I I, I hate to say it but I want to say it looked like shoulder um, through the pitch, immediately jumped off the rubber. He's shaking out his arm. He's kind of got it hanging by his side. Um, it looked like shoulder to me. Obviously, neither me or Daniel are doctors, so we'll have to wait and see what the <laughs> prognosis is. But didn't look good. He came right out of the game, went right into the dugout. The trainer didn't even spend like a minute on the field with him. There was no second like second thought. He was out of that game immediately. It's it's something serious, uh, whether yeah. it's whatever it is. And I, I I think by the looks of it, it was probably shoulder, but – We'll see what we get from the prognosis, but I definitely think he's going to be missing extensive time, which really sucks. Um, like Daniel said, uh, 2019 in the GCL, uh, that was his highest level. Um, so yeah, 11.1 innings pitched in the GCL after, after college. Um, yeah, went to Bethune Cookman and then went straight to the GCL um, and then spent some time in the Puerto Rican Winter League. He had eight games there and then some time in the Caribbean series as well. And now here he is. His first full season appearance, kind of like Meyer and Eater, right? They come out of a draft. This is a guy who wasn't far away from that, right? Mm-hmm. He comes out from the three-year college career, just a few appearances at the GCL, and then he was in double A, and he was doing really well. Um, so, yeah, I mean, obviously it was just 5.1 innings. So we'll, we'll see how he does in his progression back. Hopefully it's not as serious as we think, but it doesn't look good. Um, we'll get to our last guy and we're running out of time. So I'll get to my last guy briefly here. Um, it's going to be, uh, one of the few pitching standouts in the positive and Nick Nider, uh, Nick Nider, uh, he got a start. He went five innings, six hits, two earned runs, two walks, five strikeouts, not a lights out performance by any means, but he's now had back-to-back performances of five innings and two or less earned runs. So again, not lights out, 
but you do like what you see from Niter and that he's starting to utilize his changeup a little bit more. He did get away from that in his time with the Marlins. He admitted that to us, that he's definitely gotten away from pitching with that pitch. And you really want to see him use that pitch because it's one of his best pitches, if not his best pitch. Looks like he got both ground outs and strikeouts with that pitch and that stuff from what I saw. 60 grade pitch per fan grabs with a changeup, Daniel. So yeah, you want to see him use that pitch. Um, good signs from him. I think he will be back with the Marlins sometimes this, sometime this year with everything they have going on in the rotation if he continues to show what he has shown these last two starts out. All right, so that is going to do it for our affiliates. I know, Daniel, we did have one more question, I believe, that we wanted to get to, and you have that. Yes, we got two more. Um, oh, the first one from at Savento 17 he says, um, we all speculate what the future outfield will look like, but I'm curious who the Marlins FO uh, front office thinks will be the outfield of the future. My hunch is that they're hoping for Jesus, um, JJ, and whichever of Scott Burdick pans out. Mm -hmm. I would say your hunch is right, Savento. Um, they'll want the most complete players to pan out, guys who can offer value, not just with the bat, but also with their fielding and speed. I'm sure um, I'm sure they were really hopeful that Monte was going to pan out and be, <laughs> air quotes, Mookie Betts if he can improve his hit tool, as Rousen said. But he's getting older, running out of chances. I would say the guys that you mentioned should be, you know, it's pretty accurate. Yeah, uh, definitely agree. Um, I think it's uh, Jesus, J.J. Bladé, and then Connor Scott or Peyton Burdick. Um Peyton Burdick, um, I think you got a signifier on him on where the Marlins are with him in terms of what they think. And per a lot of reports that we got, we saw our buddy Craig Mish writing about it uh, in his work with the Miami Herald that Peyton Burdick was a name that was thrown around in trades and the Marlins turned the trades down because of Peyton Burdick. Mm -hmm. So they're really high on him. And I definitely think that, you know, if they could have brought back a quality piece and they were willing to look at him as, okay, maybe not a huge part of this outfield in the future, then they would have pulled the trigger on a deal like that. They didn't do it. So I definitely think Peyton Burdick is a big part of that conversation. Um, Connor Scott, if he can continue doing what he's doing, just being the same player that he's been to start this season with Beloit and everything that we saw in spring training, man, that, that forces the hand because we're, I mean, maybe one of them DHs in the future, that could be a possibility, but you have a lot in terms of DH otherwise with guys that are currently on the major league roster and guys that are coming behind them, such as guys like Gerard that we talked about, Thomas Jones, maybe he fills out stuff like that, that is coming in the future. That is maybe, you know, DH centric, or at least, you know, you're looking at them more so as a DH than a position player. So um, the question is, who is it between Connor Scott and Payne Burdick? Um, if you're asking me today, I mean, from what we've seen to start the minor league season, obviously it's at different levels. Connor Scott obviously looks better but Peyton Burdick has all the potential in the world to turn it on yeah. at a moment's notice. So yeah, I definitely agree with Daniel. It's between definitely Jesus and Bladé are in that future outfield. And then Scott and Burdick are the guys that you're looking at for the future competition. I would like Miami to, um, to extend somehow Starling Marte. Oh, of course. And I definitely think that they will. I definitely think that's where a lot of their money from, from TV and naming rights is going, is going to go to Starling Marte rather than uh, Duvall or Corey Dickerson, you know, Garrett Cooper, whatever it may be. So, yeah, I mean, maybe you can maybe use some of it if it's not too late, if you want to extend Brian Anderson. Sandy Alcantara, I think you have to extend Sandy Alcantara, so some money is going to mm -hmm. go there as well. 
Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll see how they do with this added money, but yeah, Starling Marte, they definitely want to keep. That's the one guy you want to keep, right? Yeah. So lastly, from the great Marlins Godfather <laughs> at Godfather <laughs> underscore MIA, he asks, you know, Miami farm better than most. And we know the relationship between above average elite farms and ultimate big league success. So what would have to go wrong for the Marlins to ultimately not cash in playoff appearances with this current farm? Devil's advocate question. <laughs> he, uh, cruel to end this one on a, on a down note, but such a good question from Danny. Great question. Um, what would need to happen for this team to not succeed? How do I say this without sounding, sounding like, a, like a homer? Um, listen, I love what this ownership is doing. I really do. They've been able to change the culture, this clubhouse, and even in, in, at the minor league levels with things like captain's camp. They've been able to create payroll flexibility, add considerable revenue. They started to draft better. I mean, just think about that last draft. Our picks were Max Meyer, Dax Fulton, Kyle Nicholas, Zach McCambly, Jake Eater, and Kyle Hurt, who was part of the Floro trade. Um, they're developing pitchers. I mean, pitchers everywhere you look. We had Poteet like, what, 80th in our system? And look what this pitching development team did to him. Now, we've seen a, you know, we have seen a bit of, of the hitting development trickle into the big leagues. Jazz has been amazing and uh, some flashes from other players. But hitting development has definitely lagged behind the pitching. How can this build go wrong uh well if no more hitters make it as expected that would be you know that would be a disaster um apart from that if miami makes some bad trades uh, maybe gives out some bad long-term contracts yeah. but just a lot of things would have to go wrong to be honest um so i'm gonna say i'm i'm really not worried um and also, I mean, this is all on the field. Obviously, they also need to do their work off the field and, and extend a few guys as they've been promising, not let everybody go, as is always, you know, the Marlins fans' problems. Um, so they also need to keep that revenue coming from interest from the fan base. So they have to do a lot of things. But again, a lot of things would have to go wrong for this to not work. They've, they've, been, um, they do, they've been doing it right. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely my answer to this, and this is a fantastic question. And of course, our buddy Godfather coming through as always with some quality, quality insight, quality question here. I really loved this question when I first read it. Uh, thank you for this, Godfather. This is awesome. So yeah, a great answer from Daniel. My answer will kind of echo this. And I'll say this, the biggest thing that they could do to make this go wrong is to not give these guys the chance to fill right? You see these guys come up immediately. They come into the majors. You see it with Meyer in his first start. You see it with Jake Eater. You'll see it with, with other prospects. Eventually, Blade is going to go off. It's just coming. Burdick as well. You guys at the lower levels that we've talked about in this podcast, Osiris Johnson, like just guys that, that we see immediate signs from early in a season or early in their tenure as a minor league baseball player. If you don't get as exciting as it is guys. And I know that every Marlins fan on Twitter is going to see us post stats from a minor league game. We're going to post videos from a minor league game, which we do regularly. Daniel's going to post what he thinks about his guys that he loves. And of course, other guys throughout this organization. And you're going to want to say, okay, call that guy up right now. We don't have hitting. We need hitting. We don't have a pitch. We don't have a fifth starter or fourth starter. We need one. Call this guy up. 
That's the last thing they want to do. They want to give these guys every opportunity in the world to fill out because it goes well beyond 2021. We're looking at this going into 2031 with all that we have in the minor leagues, maybe even longer. So what, what can they do to make this go wrong? In my viewpoint, it's not give them the time that they need to fill out. Call guys up too quick promote them too quick. That's why, I mean, honestly, I, Daniel, I'll be honest. I was kind of worried at the beginning of the year when we put Jake Eater, especially in double A, you know, I mean, we mentioned Anthony Maldonado. We put him in double A straight out of the GCL. So they, they're challenging these guys hard. I mean, most of the time it's worked out and that's great to see, but you want to give these guys. And of course, you know, the, the lost 2020 season does go into that and you do have to account for that. But you want to see these guys be given every opportunity that they can get to complete their development in the proper way. That's one thing that they can do wrong to make this go wrong is to push these guys too quickly. The next thing is to spend the money correctly, right? You need to know what you have on the team with veterans, and then you need to know what you have coming and where it is. So do you spend the money now to extend everything that they have in the majors in terms of Gerard, or I'm, I'm sorry, in terms of uh, Marte, in terms of Sandy, in terms of Brian Anderson, you got Adam Duvall, you got Corey Dickerson. What do you do? Where does the money go? As good as they've, as they've done with money in this last offseason, obviously, as Daniel mentioned, with revenue coming in, they were good enough to bring fans back for opening day. I think those numbers are going to go up. They have this awesome new Jersey, as we talked about at the beginning of the show, they have money coming in, but where does that money go? And how do you spend it strategically? That's huge. And I think this off season is going to be telling and where they are in the direction of this farm system and how close they think these guys are and what they want to keep around in the major leagues. So in terms of money, you have to extend Starling Marte. I definitely think that they will do that. Brian Anderson, he's struggling right now. Time's running out to extend him. He's only got a couple years left of team control. So is time up and do they want to extend him? That's a huge question. I think we'll see that come to fruition this offseason. They don't sign him this offseason. It's done. I think he's gone. I think they're looking at other guys to come up and fill third base. Sandy Alcantara, this is a tough topic for me because he's the undisputed ace of the staff, Daniel. I think they have to re-sign him. But again, also, I think he has a little bit more time than Brian Anderson, if I'm not mistaken, but I think you have to resign Sandy Alcantara. So you have to resign Alcantara. You have to resign Starling Marte. Brian Anderson, I don't know. We'll see what happens. The Marlins do have a lot to move to the third base spot in the minor leagues, but how do you get by until they're ready? Maybe they bring in somebody. Who knows? Uh, I think it's going to be a telling offseason in where they are in terms of money. Definitely a great question, though, from Godfather. But in terms of my answers, I think it's where does the money go and how quickly do you rush these kids? And if you rush Love them too quickly, it. it could go very wrong. So those are the two things that I think they could do wrong. Am I worried? Scale of one to 10, negative three and a half. <laughs> That's really specific. I love it. <laughs> awesome. So I think that will do it here, guys. That's episode 18 of Swimming Upstream. Thank you guys so much again for the engagement. We appreciate all the questions that you guys sent in. Thank you, as always, for the time to listen to me and Daniel go on for, what, an hour and a half talking about one week of minor league baseball. I think that's something you can only get here on Swimming Upstream is two guys talking about one week of Marlins minor league baseball to this extent. So before we go, we do want to make one pretty big announcement for me and Daniel, and that's uh, going back to the project that we started a couple of years ago that we finally finished here uh, at the beginning of the season and starting our consensus top 100 prospect list. We have an update coming to this list. It's going to be our first full update to the list. And that's going to be coming at you guys 
So we hope you guys stay tuned for that. I'll be publishing it on Twitter. I'll be publishing it on the website. So who moved up? Who moved down? How far did they go? We'll have that for you on all of our outlets. So again, guys, we appreciate it so much for the time and joining us here on episode 18 of Swimming Upstream. We'll have more throughout this coming week on the website and social media. And me and Daniel, we'll see you guys next Monday for our next recap show. We'll see you guys next time.